And welcome into another edition of the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Show. We are with the longtime host of RLA Radio, Dennis Tubergen. Uh, he's written over eight books on consumer finance, and four of them have been bestsellers. And uh, of course, you know, he's a keynote speaker. You get to uh, perform and see him in a number of different classes and that, that uh, his company, uh, you know, does offer. And um, keynote speaker on numerous financial topics. And I want to welcome in uh, Dennis Tubergen. Uh, and, uh, Dennis, I hope you're having a, 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 you know, a good week here. Uh, when we talk about week, uh, we're talking about weakening and, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting program here today. And we're so again, glad to, to have you along with us, uh, because we're going to talk about some, some signs here that even though, you, you know, things may be, uh, seem good in the media on certain signs of of the economy is that there's a number of signs out there that it is actually weakening. And we're going to talk about some of those. And as well, coming up in the program, Carrie Lutz, who was the founder of the Financial Survivor Network. Uh, he's going to talk about the banking system, the real health of it, uh, touch on some real estate, a little politics and inflation forecast, uh, and a number of those things, and, and including... Uh, what the Federal Reserve is doing with interest rates, and could there potentially be something that reverses course right there? I don't know. We're going to discuss that. But uh, before we dive into that, uh, Dennis, and and ask you the long-winded questions and everything here, we do want to remind people that you can find out more, especially October's newsletter. If you haven't gotten that yet, some great information in there. Go to requestyourreport.com. Again, that's requestyourreport.com. Uh, get some great information there signed up, and they'll send you over some goodies. Uh, and then this buyer's guide, this unique metals buyer's guide, go to plpmetals.com. That's P as in Papa, L as in Larry, P as in Papa. Again, plpmetals, M-E-T-A-L-S, .com, plpmetals.com. Some great uh, resources right there available. All you have to do is go to those uh, websites. Again, requestyourreport.com and plpmetals.com, and you can get signed up for those. But uh, uh, Dennis, as we welcome you uh, uh, into uh, uh, the program here, let's go over some of those signs that the U.S. economy uh, the U.S. economy is actually weakening because we don't necessarily hear that in the, the big news media. Well, Jeremy, I, I, I certainly uh, won't disparage mainstream media here. I've done so enough on past programs, so I'll stick to what I perceive to be the facts here. And uh, nice to be back with you again this week. Uh, I, I think the first thing I would point to is that consumer confidence is waning. And that's really a big issue, Jeremy, because the U.S. economy is more than 70% dependent on consumer spending. The health of the U.S. economy is dependent on you and I going out and spending money. And if we as consumers are not confident, that spells bad news for the U.S. economy. So here's some numbers. There's, there's an organization called the Conference Board. The Conference Board is a business research group, and they report something called a Consumer Confidence Index. Now, the number might not mean a whole lot to you, but in August, the Consumer Confidence Index was at 108.7. We expected that the index would drop some, but it dropped to 103. 
And even more importantly, the Future Expectations Index, which is essentially a survey of consumers. And what do you expect is going to happen in the future? That fell below a very critical level. That level is 80, which again, doesn't mean a lot to our listeners. But historically speaking, here's the significance. Any reading below 80 has always resulted in a recession. So consumers, one, are losing confidence. And two, consumers are expecting a recession. And this index historically has always been right. So I expect we're going to see this, uh, the, 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 the economy continue to weaken and consumers are, are strapped. And, you know, Dennis, the thing is about the consumer confidence index that it's more than just psychology. It's more than just thinking, hey, you know what, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe we can do this. Uh, but but believe it or not, I think this wouldn't affect, you know, most reasonable people listening to this uh, Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio show. But, um, you know, it's not necessarily stop spending because I think as a country, we're used to spending money we don't have. And that's the problem with the debt, too, of not only our not our country's debt, but our own individual debt, how much that has increased uh, is just, hey, we're still spending money we don't have. Okay, I, Not to say that that's the American way, but when you start affecting the consumer confidence, then maybe we don't spend as much money uh, as we have or we don't have. Well, Jeremy, there's a couple of things I would say to that because you're exactly right. First of all, it's important to understand how debt works. And I always use this example when I when I speak that, you know, imagine that you just bought a car and you paid cash for the car. You don't have a car payment. In order to have cash for that car, you had to go to work in the past. You had to save money. And when you pay cash for that car, you're spending prior production. Now, your neighbor sees your car in the driveway and says, wow, that's a great car. I've got to have one. But your neighbor doesn't have the money in the bank to pay for the car. So your neighbor goes and borrows money, and now she's got a payment book. Your neighbor has to go to work tomorrow and make money to be able to make the payment. So that means that your neighbor, when when she buys the car, is spending future production. You've spent past production. Your neighbor has to spend future production. Now, here's the reality. Future production is not infinite. Future production is finite or limited. So debt can accumulate to a certain point, but once debt consumes enough of tomorrow's production, whether you're talking about an individual, whether you're talking about a business, or whether you're talking about Americans collectively, debt accumulation has to have a limit. And when you reach that limit, the trend has to reverse. And I believe, Jeremy, we are seeing signs that we are at that level. Now, when you add to that the fact that we've had inflation, unlike anything we've seen in more than 40 years, it's a lot easier for consumers to get to that breaking point when inflation is is actually uh, devaluing their dollars. So it takes more of their, their income just to meet basic income needs. Now they don't have as much discretionary income to service debt. So you've got this perfect economic storm now brewing. And I think that this consumer confidence index is simply a symptom of where we are. And, you know, citing, uh, you know, an author here, Michael Snyder commenting, you know, is this like the pivot point? Are, are we at it? Have we already sur- surpassed it? Now we're, 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 going down the slope, but maybe we just don't know it yet. Sometimes those things take a little bit while to catch up, do they? Not just the numbers, but the comp- confidence, everything too. 
Yeah, and I, I think uh, consumer confidence is going to be considered to be a leading indicator. And the reality is a lot of these numbers, uh, you know, when you look at, for example, uh, economic growth reported as gross domestic product, we don't really know that we're in a recession until probably those numbers have been revised for three times. So, I mean, that's always the, the, the last indicator. But when you look at the numbers, we, we talked about this on last week's program. Sales of new homes hit a wall in August. They fell 8.7% from July. Redfin reported that real estate deals, there were 60,000 deals that fell through in August, which is not surprising because we have 30-year mortgage rates now pushing 8%. And we are so, uh, our, our perspective is really skewed. Our, our, our reality is is really not reality because when you look at a uh, an average mortgage rate since the 1970s, we're still right about at the average mortgage rate. So where we are today seems like, wow, interest rates are way up there. But in the whole scheme of things, they're really not. Interest rates are about at average over the last 50 years. Mm. Mm. Well, and in part of that interest rate, too, and this is going to you know lead us into our, our next segment, uh, Carrie Lutz going to be joining the program here again, founder of the Financial Survivor Network, is you guys are going to talk a little bit about uh, you know the banking system, but but banking banks are getting a little bit more conservative. So what is what is that what does that mean? Well, the New York Federal Reserve Bank did a survey. Okay, they they surveyed uh, consumers, and sixty percent of those who were surveyed said it's now more difficult to get loans, it's more difficult to get a credit card, and it's more difficult to get a mortgage than it was just one year ago. Now, if you look at past surveys, because this is a survey that the New York Federal Reserve Bank does frequently, that's the highest percentage that have held that view since 2013, so in 10 years. And now it's not just the survey, it's not just that perception, because that perception really is reality. Banks and credit card companies are now racking up losses faster than at any time since the great financial crisis in 2007-2008. So Dennis, if I could, what is a credit card loss? Does that mean, let's say I have a $10,000 credit card limit, let's just say, and I'm at yeah, I'll continually have that thing seven, eight thousand dollars, and maybe I go bust. Maybe I, I buy some some other junk I don't need. Whatever it is, I'm at like ten thousand dollars, and all of a sudden I realize I can't pay. I lo- I go lose my job, get divorced, whatever the situation is. And all of a sudden, I I really do not have the assets anymore to pay this, and I file for bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy. Is that what that means by a loss, or w- what does that mean? That's exactly what it means. People are not able to pay their credit card bill. And we are now seeing losses racking up at the fastest pace in 30 years if you rule out the great financial crisis. And this is far, far from over in my view. And Jeremy, I'm looking at the clock here. I just want to remind people we do have the October special report available at requestyourreport.com. When you do that, when you request the report at that website, we'll also send you a copy of the October subscriber-only newsletter. Uh, Again, that's requestyourreport.com. We'll be back after these words with Mr. Kerry Lutz.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Kerry Lutz. Uh, longtime listeners will recognize Kerry as the founder of the Financial Survival Network. His podcast is absolutely must-listen. Uh, he has some terrific guests, and uh, he is a uh, a very bright guy, economically speaking. Works very, very hard, and uh, love to get his perspective. So uh, check him out at FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. And Kerry, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us again. Hey, Dennis. It's always an honor to be on your show. So, Kerry, give the listeners your take as to the health of the U.S. economy as we're recording this in the first week of October. So it's so funny, Dennis, like uh, your perception of the economy, I guess, has to do with how well you're doing. Although I'm doing knock on wood. Okay. I have no complaints, but you know, I'm talking to a couple of people who really despise the former occupant of the white house and think that things are fine now. And I didn't want to get into a whole fight over it. But when I look around, I see the banking sector really hitting the skids, uh, the emergency lending facility, emergency discount window at the Fed, which is aimed at uh, at keeping these banks afloat. Every week, it's record amounts being loaned to these banks to keep them afloat. And look, maybe unemployment isn't so bad. I was just in New York City it seems to me that hyperinflation has arrived in New York City. A taxi cab ride that a few years ago was $10 is now 30 to $35. Uh, I went to pick up some sushi that somebody had ordered, and I get this little tiny bag that you would get, a plastic bag from the supermarket that feels empty, and that was $175, Dennis. So inflation is alive and well, regardless what the numbers say. And the precariousness of the system is clearly on display. But I like to say that the U.S. dollar is the best looking house in Baltimore, you know. So, Kerry, I want to I want to drill down on inflation. But first, you, you mentioned banking, uh, you know, the, the, the financial crisis uh, of 2007, 2008 was really uh, brought on by uh, not only derivatives, but also subprime mortgages. And, and worldwide at the time, at least based on the research I've done, uh, we had debt of about $100 trillion. It's now about triple that size. So, you know, how do you, how do you perceive the health of the banking system now as compared to the time of the financial crisis? I, that's interesting. Well, obviously, subprime is kind of in the past. Um, Unsound lending lending procedures programs really fed the fire. The Fed's low, artificially low interest rates certainly did. Uh, so it's not the same. We're not going to have a massive real estate bust unless we get massive unemployment, which is always possible here. Um, I just see that uh, that really it's different challenges, but it's the same challenge, and that is the debt that you can't print your way to prosperity. You can't borrow your way to prosperity. Um, when they give people money, what do they do? Yeah, they pay down some debt, but they go out and buy new flat screens and new cars and all of this. And that is not a way to build wealth. Uh, 
you know, Robert Kiyosaki says there's good debt and there's bad debt. Good debt is debt that helps you make money, earns you a return. Bad debt is uh, is debt that just costs you money and really doesn't give you a return. And it looks to me like there's a lot more bad debt out there, Dennis, than there is good debt. So, Kerry, revisiting uh, the inflation topic that uh, you brought up with some eye-popping examples from your recent trip to New York City, you know, I, I look at the fact that the, the U.S. government has to refinance about $7.6 trillion in debt over the next 12 months. And on top of that, we've got a $2 trillion deficit. So if, you know, for round number purposes, let's just say there's about $10 trillion that's going to have to be financed or refinanced, give or take a half a trillion, um, in the next 12 months. Uh, it seems to me that that's going to be difficult to do without engaging the proverbial printing press, uh, and then that might feed inflation again. How do you see that? You know, uh, I just see that uh, there's no end in sight. Um, there's so much, they printed up so much money during the pandemic that uh, that really inflation's here to stay. If we go back to the last inflationary run-up in the 60s and 70s and into the early 80s, it's a cycle. It doesn't just get shut down because they raise rates for a year. Um, this is something that's going to be with us, I think, for at least a decade and perhaps a lot longer. So, Kerry, given that, you know, the, the inflation rate is, uh, you know, typically prices don't go back down if we're talking about just just, just consumer prices, as you uh, illustrated just a few moments ago. Um, you know, that inflation kind of it stays there and then new inflation builds on top of that. So how do you see this affecting the average person that wants to save for retirement in an IRA or a 401k? Uh, do, do you see a path forward for someone that might be listening today saying, you know, this is scary. How, how do I get ahead here? Well, you know, like when the pandemic came, I said, it's the best time ever to be a debtor because you're. You can get this two and a half percent mortgage, three percent mortgage, and buy assets that can earn you a return. You know, now we're shifting to the point where perhaps asset values are going to decline. And in that case, it's, you know, there's the old saying, uh, you should be in bad times, you should be more concerned about return of investment than return on investment. And I think that's where we're heading now. Short-term treasuries, uh, still, if you've got real estate and uh, you can earn a return on it, it's probably going to be okay. But everything is going to be getting more expensive, and it is getting more expensive. Taxes will be going higher. So really, you got to be defensive. And, you know, look, if you can earn a return on debt, that's great. But if you can't, you need to get rid of it because just not paying the interest on the debt is a return in and of itself. Well, I'm chatting today with the founder of the Financial Survival Network, Mr. Kerry Lutz. You can learn more about his podcast at FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, I check it out frequently. And uh, Kerry, you know, you mentioned declining asset values. And, you know, I'm assuming you're referring there to traditional 
uh, assets that, that people would use to, to not only store, but also build wealth like, like stocks and real estate. Uh, what's your ultimate forecast here for stocks? Where do you see things going? Yeah, well, it's, it's a peculiar situation because if they flood the system with liquidity again, the Fed panics. I remember one time in Barron's, I read, uh, it was just an editorial, but it said the Fed is doing what the Fed does best, and that's getting a president elected. All right. And the implication is there you they have their favorite candidate, they want them elected or reelected, so they flood the system with liquidity. Here it's it's an issue because uh, the rates are high, they're going higher, and if they do that, the dollar could potentially take a major hit if it's not coordinated with all the other world's economies. China's already cutting rates. Uh, Maybe it's a matter of time before everybody throws in the inflationary towel trying to control it or or minimize it, and they just say, you know what, We the inflation, it's better to deal with the inflation than it is to deal with a complete global economic collapse. So if the U.S. starts cutting rates, I think it'll be in conjunction with all the other central banks in the world. And I don't see where they have a choice because if rates keep go- getting higher, Dennis, then the debt, you know, just what we pay on interest on the debt, it's $700 billion now, according to Michael Pento, and I never argue with Michael's numbers, it could easily go up to a trillion and a half if the rates go higher. Uh, so eventually they're going to have to cut rates, if for no other reason than election meddling, Dennis. They're going to do it and higher stock prices, all of that. So if they cut rates, then stock prices will go up, but the value of the dollar will go down. Did you really gain anything? Then if they cut rates, then real estate becomes very attractive because the rate of inflation will be higher than the coupon on your debt, which means you'll be you're effectively being paid to to take on the debt, and uh, it's what my friend Jason Hartman calls uh, inflation induced debt destruction. And in which case, look, I don't believe that the rate is as low as they say five percent. I think it's probably closer to ten right now. Uh, debt that you can borrow and earn a return on will become all the more attractive. We'll have another real estate boom and there won't be any inventory at all. If they if they keep raising rates, exact opposite, we will see crash in asset values and we will see uh we'll see a deflationary trend and inevitably some type of collapse whether we can export it or not this time or whether we feel the brunt of it. I don't know the answer to that, but that's what I see. Well, my guest today is Mr. Kerry Lutz. He is the founder of the Financial Survival Network, and he is the host of the podcast that you'll find there as well. The website is financialsurvivalnetwork.com. I'd encourage you to check it out. I'll continue my conversation with Kerry when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us.
I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest on today's program is Mr. Kerry Lutz. He is the founder of the Financial Survival Network. I would encourage you to check out his podcast. He is a prolific podcast producer. FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com is where you can uh, learn more about his work, and I'd encourage you to do that. So, Kerry, in in the last segment, you, you talked a bit about the fact that you know, people probably moving ahead need to be a bit defensive. Um, when you say people need to get defensive, can, can you give us a couple thoughts or, or strategies, just, you know, generically speaking as to what you're referring to? Yeah, well, you know, so basically, I don't uh, give financial advice, buy or sell, whatever. But for myself, if things go the way they're going now, then the stock market is not looking good because we'll have a decreasing money supply and we will have, uh, we'll just have less dollars chasing the same number of assets, right? So I see defensive as perhaps precious metals for me, uh, for perhaps real estate in, uh, in stronger markets because there is no one real estate market in the country. There are hundreds of markets, but some are far stronger than others, like in Florida, like Texas, in the south part of the country, in low-tax states, they are growing much faster than high-tax states. The growth rate of Florida compared to New York, I mean, Florida is now the financial capital of the United States. Martin Armstrong stated this, Miami is the financial capital. That's where all the money is heading to when you go. And Miami means from Miami Beach, Miami, the city of Miami, up to Palm Beach County. That's the Miami metro area. Uh, hedge funds have moved there. Goldman Sachs' most profitable uh, division has moved there. And the money is just pouring into the state. So if there's a recession, maybe we get slight zero growth here for a while or you know sub uh you know sub two percent growth but we don't have as big a recession as the rest of the country so i think you have to be prepared for that i do like resources because i do believe that uh, no matter what happens the price of energy is going higher i've been an energy bull for quite a while I like nat gas right now. It just hit three bucks. To me, Dennis, nat gas is more accurate than any meteorologist on the planet or all of them put together. Nat gas always knows when we're going to have a bad winter at least two weeks to a month before the rest of the world figures it out. So resources, you know, copper's down right now, gold is down. But if inflation picks up, then they're going higher. If the dollar becomes precarious if the uh, debt, the government debt, sovereign debt around the world really becomes shaky, then people will flee to the dollar and perhaps, I mean, they'll flee to gold and perhaps Bitcoin. Not a raving cryptocurrency bull by any stretch. I think it's a market like any other, but there's enough money pouring into it when people get scared as a perceived safe haven that price probably going to go higher. So Kerry, in the in one of the scenarios that that you just laid out, the the Fed 
goes back to uh, a more accommodative policy. They go back to an easy money policy, in, in which case you said that, you know, you could see stocks going higher. You could see real estate going higher again. But, you know, when you when you think about that policy, I, you know, I've studied history. When you look at John Law's France, when you look at yeah. these types of policies, you know, that you can only go so far with that policy before people lose confidence in a currency. And there's a lot going on around the world currency wise. Now, the BRICS threatened to roll out a gold backed or, or currency backed or, or, or currency backed, uh, excuse me, commodity backed currency. They did not do that. Uh, but but how much longer can the Fed play this game before people go, wait a minute, I don't want dollars. I don't want yen. I don't want euro. You know, um, as a wise man once said, the market can remain irrational much longer than you can remain solvent. <laughs> the problem is that where are you going to put your money? The Japanese yen, the yuan, all those BRICS countries had the worst performing economies over the past decade for the most part. And the concept of finding an alternative to the dollar, a fiat alternative, or even what they say, commodity based, nobody trusts the Chinese at this point. All right. They're the ones that could implement it. But if we have a gold backed yuan, do you trust them? If you buy yuan, you'll be able to convert to gold. Nobody trusts them. They don't trust uh, Russia, rightly or wrongly, even though Russia, from a balance sheet standpoint, is probably among the stronger countries in the world because they don't have a lot of debt, although we don't know what they're hiding from the war. Um, the concept of the alternative to the dollar, it doesn't exist at the present time. That doesn't mean it won't exist. And I'm not poo-pooing the uh, brick-based currency because any port in a storm I just don't see what they're proposing as being a true substitute for the dollar. You know, like I say, the dollar is the, uh, you know, you could pick, choose your analogy, the best looking horse in the glue factory, the cleanest uh, shirt in the, in the laundry, cleanest dirty shirt, whatever you want to call it. It's there. The system still works at present. So they're going to stick with it until they can't anymore because there really isn't a choice. That doesn't mean that the dollar is inviolate and can't crash or can't uh, can't become, uh, you know, worth, uh, as they used to say, not even worth a. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the uh, currency from the Revolutionary War. The continental. A con yeah, it's that the dollar won't even be worth a continental. You know, that is a very real possibility. But right now, the money is pouring into the U.S. for perceived safety because there isn't, you know, you, you're a fund manager in Europe or Asia, and you got $10 billion that you need to park in a bank over the weekend. Are you going to park it in China or going to park it at Deutsche Bank? Or are you going to put it in J.P. Morgan Chase where they're, Odds are good that on Monday you'll be able to get it, right? So where do you put your money? So um, that concept of the alternative currency, really the cryptos kind of fit that as the best, the best analog, but the governments of the world are not going to allow independent private uh, cryptocurrencies to squeeze out sovereign currencies. 
uh, you know, I always say to people, oh, Bitcoin's great. It's going to replace the dollar. I said, what are you going to do when they when they pass a law in Congress saying that possession with intent to distribute Bitcoin will land you five years in jail? You still going to be trading it? Great point. Gary, I'd like to just uh, along those lines, just shift gears ever so slightly. Uh, as we're talking uh, the first week in October here, uh, metals, both gold and silver, have pulled back in price. It seems that when you look at the fundamentals of what's going on around the world with inflation, like we talked about in the last segment, that metals should be doing exactly the opposite. Um, how would you explain this this pullback in, in metals prices, if, if you even have uh, an explanation? Well, we'll never forget that the price of metals is determined in the COMEX and the uh, London Metals Exchange and all that. So the paper price is what determines the physical price. In addition, there could be a liquidity event taking place. And when you get those margin calls, the easiest thing to do is sell your gold or your gold ETF, whether that's worth anything or not. But that will drive the price down. And cyclically, you know, the... The commercials drive out the uh, dumb money. They pick it up at a discount at a song. And then they, uh, when it goes back up, they uh, lock in their profits. So as long as this paper game is still going on, uh, the price of precious metals will defy logic and common sense. So, Gary, uh, do you have a, an ultimate forecast for metals? You mentioned uh that for you, that was a good defensive strategy. Do you have a thought as to where metals prices might go? I see them uh, higher uh, once we get through whatever. Well, look, there's two scenarios. One, the currencies collapse, deflation takes over, and then gold will go way down in price. But the real purchasing power of gold will go up dramatically, right? That's uh, scenario number one. Scenario number two is they inflate. And the price, the nominal price of gold goes up and the real purchasing price of gold goes up. So either way, gold becomes more valuable in either scenario. It's just that in terms of how it's how it's valued at this point um, in terms of fiat, that changes in both those scenarios. So, Gary, we've got uh, just a couple minutes left in this segment. You, We, we started talking a bit about politics when we opened the first segment here of our conversation today um we we just had a a, a momentous event historically and that uh, uh the speaker of the house is no longer the speaker of the house uh, first time a, an act, a a sitting speaker has been voted out seems like we're in for a pretty interesting ride here between now and a year from now when the 2024 elections are held you want to be so bold as to make any forecasts as to how you see this playing out when when it comes to politics, after what's happened in the last 12 years, I consider myself trans, trans-political. I've gone beyond <laughs> it, all right? You can't pin your happiness on what some corrupt politician um, in a corrupt city is going to do to protect your interests, because just they aren't, and they're not in it for you. Uh, George Carlin said, it's all a big club and you're not in it. And so you need to separate yourself from that. Look, I don't watch news anymore on television. 
I stopped watching it back in 9-11 because I found it was making me really unhappy. And since I uh, decoupled from uh, mainstream media and television news, I'm a lot happier a person. And I think that's the best thing you can do is, um, you know, whoever gets elected, the big loser is going to be the American public. Well, just uh, for the record, uh, I decoupled myself about four years ago, and I can tell you that it made me a lot happier, too. So uh, certainly understand where you're coming from there, and I appreciate that comment. Um, I guess today on the program has been Mr. Kerry Lutz. He is uh, the host of the Financial Survival Network podcast. You can learn more at FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Carrie, love to have you back down the road again. Appreciate your perspective. I know the listeners do as well. And thank you for joining us. And I really appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to our resuming our conversation in a couple months when we see exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, we'll certainly do that. And we will return after these words. back again on the final segment here the retirement lifestyle advocates radio show rla radio we're joined by dennis tubergen and i'm uh, jeremy volker and uh, we got to hear from uh, mr carrie lutz the founder of the financial survivor network and i uh, got to touch on a lot of different points there dennis uh and and just some overall signs too as we you know, conclude this uh this week's program you know some of the signs that the u.s economy you know is weakening and uh, we do want to remind you to got got to get these housekeeping things in here. Requestyourreport.com is going to get you some uh, the October newsletter, great information as well, and some goodies. Requestyourreport.com, and then also uh, available to you uh, right now is the PLP Metals Guide. Uh, that's P as in Papa, L as in Larry, P, PLPmetals.com, PLPmetals.com. And of course, if you forget all those things, just remember retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. I know we just threw three websites at you there, but bottom line, you remember retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's going to get you to, to some of the other places. But uh, but come back on this program here, Dennis, to, in this final segment some of the signs that the U.S. economy is weakening is, you know, we hear about the IRS expanding jobs and, uh, you know, it seems like the, you know, government jobs are continually getting larger. But here's one thing. I think people equate the Federal Reserve to, you know, as, as all government, you know, jobs, but it's actually laying off 300 workers. And I, that just doesn't sound right that the government's actually laying off workers, the government employees that that could be happening. So, so what is that? You know, what does that mean? How does that work? Well, first of all, Jeremy, uh, a couple of quick things I'll say. First of all, the October special report is titled, It's the Debt Stupid, How Unsustainable Debt Levels May Affect Your Retirement Dreams and Strategies to Consider Now. Uh, when debt reaches an unsustainable level, the trend has to reverse. And I believe that's going to play, uh, uh, wreck havoc here, wreak havoc, I should say, on the U.S. economy moving ahead. Now, as far as the Federal Reserve, uh, many people think that's a government agency, but it's not. The Federal Reserve mm -hmm. is a private group of bankers. 
So to give our listeners the background, back in 1913, then-President Woodrow Wilson and Congress gave the Federal Reserve this private group of bankers control over U.S. monetary policy. Now, that was really against the, in my opinion, sage advice of many of our founding fathers, one of them being Thomas Jefferson, who said, if the American people ever allow private bankers to control their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive their children of the very continent their fathers conquered. Now, that's a really, really prophetic wow really prophetic saying, because that's exactly where we find ourselves today. So the Federal Reserve is a private group of bankers, and they're laying people off. For the first time in more than 10 years, the Federal Reserve said it's cutting 300 people from its payroll. So here is the organization that is forecasting a soft landing, or maybe hoping for a soft landing for the U.S. economy, which I don't believe uh, there's a chance that that will happen. They're actually laying off 300 workers. So that's a pretty ominous sign when you think about it. It's not like uh, Leslie Nielsen's uh, airplane movie, is it? Like nothing to see here uh, <laughs> when he's doing that 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 sign. I mean, that that is that is uh, interesting. I mean, I can see why they're going to say, hey, it's a soft landing. They're going to create panic and go, oh, my gosh, this guy's falling. Everything stinks. You know, so they're, they're going to maybe try to try to try to put a little panache on what they really feel is going to happen. But when you're laying off uh, those type of workers, I I think they know, they they even know a little bit more about uh, us and what's going to happen here. Well, and Jeremy, the Fed is notoriously bad at their forecasting. I mean, I I would, I would argue that whatever the Fed says, uh, you know, that's likely not what's going to happen. Uh, But, but in the time we, we have left too, the, the, the other thing I'd like to point out is when you look at bankruptcy cases in the United States, just last week, it was it was noted in the data that Americans filed 39,000 bankruptcy cases in August of 2023, up 18% from the same time last year. So oh, just think man. about the data we've talked about. 18% more bankruptcies, home sales down 15.3%. That's not good news. Mm-mm. Now, there were... Actually, when you add in business bankruptcies, uh, there were 41,600 new bankruptcy cases filed in August. So uh, people are at their limit. That, that, that is really a symptom of this excess debt that we talk about in the October special report, which, again, if you're just joining us, you can get by going to requestyourreport.com. Yeah. Well, Dennis, in this time here, we just got about two minutes left. I mean, there there are a number of different signs. And you can you can read about this on your blog here that the U.S. economy is weakening. What would you say of the remaining ones that we've hit that you wanted to you wanted to make sure that people were aware of? Well, I think there's another headwind, Jeremy. And then let's just talk about oil prices. If you put gas in your car recently, you know that oil prices are higher. Uh, right now, we've got oil pushing a hundred dollars a barrel. Um, and I see forecasts out there that it could hit $150 a barrel. Well, roughly extrapolating, if it goes from $100 to $150 a barrel, that means gas prices could go up another 50%. Well, that, again, ties in to discretionary spending. If you're pay- putting uh, gas in your car, the same amount of gas as you always have, but it's costing you 50% more, 
Uh, that's money that you can't spend somewhere else. And that's bad news, again, for a consumer spending dependent U.S. economy. So I believe that you're going to see higher fuel prices. And I would also point out that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which uh, there was oil released from that uh, prior to the last election cycle, that is now at a 40-year low. So uh, that bullet, to use that term, has already been shot. So I don't believe we're going to see um, oil prices drop anytime soon. Uh, we are uh, up against the clock here. So in the time we have left, let me remind you that we do have the Precious Metals Buyer's Guide available at PLP Metals. Let us know where to mail it. We'll be glad to do that. We also have the October special report. It's the debt stupid, how unsustainable debt levels may affect your retirement dreams and strategies to consider now. That's at requestyourreport.com. Jeremy, always fun. Uh, we have to go, but we will be back again next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>